listener, beware. You gave us the scares. Hello, and welcome to Say Podcast and Die. This week on our minisode, we are talking through Goose Punk community buzz about the Werewolf of Fever Swamp, You Can't Scare Me, One Day at Horrorland, plus our bonus deviation from the Gooseverse into the Babysitter. That's right. Who are we? I'm Andy. I'm Alyssa. Oh, good we squared that away. Yeah. So first, we have an important fashion update. I feel like we need the, like, breaking news, like, do 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 Pew, 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 pew! Coming at you from Monster TV. Oh, yeah, from the Monster Channel. Exactly. Fashions in the Gooseverse. If you are so inclined, you should make a recording of that so that we can play it under... under. No, I think that's a good it. Maybe make it kind of techno. Yeah, I love that. So, Alyssa, what is... Reporting live from... The closet. From the closet. Um, (laughs) What is a sports shirt? Thanks, Andy. I hope things are good up there in the studio. (laughs) We now know what a sports shirt is. Chris and Alex let us know that a sports shirt is essentially a collared shirt. I guess at a certain point, people developed the idea of sport clothing, such as a sport jacket, meaning it's not a formal suit. But if you're going apparently yachting or equivalent, you know, you need to be a little less fancy. It's that sport attire. Yeah, my understanding is it's what people in New England uh, over the last couple of years, having lived here, I think, what they wear when they go to pub trivia, at least in like Cambridge (laughs) and the surrounding area. Yeah, informal around here looks very different than I'm used to. Yeah, for real. Boater shoes, I think. It's stuff uh, Jackie O would wear to entertain and the sports shirt specifically is like a, a dad shirt, kind of soft flannel material. So even though we know this now, I think I am still forever going to picture Mr. Mortman wearing Under Armour. But now I know better. <laughs> well, and wasn't it a lime green sports shirt? Yeah. Yeah, that's still, I that hurts my eyes to picture. <laughs> like a soft collared shirt in lime green. All right. So I have a quick erratum. I have correction to make. I wasn't sure what award R.L. Stein's son, Matt, won recently, but he it was a Tony he won. He did orchestration on Moulin Rouge the Musical. This is the stage musical that came out in 2019. Congratulations, Matt, on your Tony, which is neither an Emmy nor a Grammy, which is what I had thought. <laughs> As a queer podcast, a Tony is much more important to us. That's true. And like an Emmy or a Grammy, it is one step on the way to EGOT. That's true. Yes. In terms of babysitting horror, two questions we asked you on That Theory Thursday were, what are your most horrifying babysitting stories? And why is babysitting so often the subject of horror? Dustin of Dustin Can Read writes, I never babysat anyone, so no stories for me, but I would wager the fear of being responsible for a child while you are technically still a child is scary enough. Add in a psycho and it's definitely horrifying. And our friends Max and Cole over at At Second To Die Pod And just a side note, support LGBTQ podcasts. Um, Max and Cole are husbands, which is rad. They say this is not a babysitting story, but they have been exorcist-style projectile vomited on during baby story time. Yeah, that counts as horror. Yeah, that counts as bad baby experience. Yeah, baby-related horror. Yeah. From Twitter, all it is, I think that's how it's pronounced, it's at A-L-L-I-T-I-Z. All It Is just released a song retelling the babysitter story from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which used the same source materials as R.L. Stein and the Babysitter. So it's called The Babysitter, and it's by Beware and All It Is, and you can find it on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music. Yeah, I was listening to it right before we started recording this episode. It is it fantastic. Is, it is a bop. A bop? Yeah. Is that a compliment? Yes. And then we have another good story from Royce over on Twitter. 
So Royce had some stories that were more about being babysat. Royce said, uh, at Royce A. Miller said that his second cousins locked him and his sibling in the playroom and then slid them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches under the door. What? Um, yeah. And apparently when Royce and his sibling tried to tell their parents, uh, they just laughed and thought that they made it up. The idea of sliding a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the under the door, like, it's both smashed and has whatever was on the floor oh, on it. It also seems like that would leave evidence behind. I feel like you should be able to be like, see the crumbs here. It was, we didn't make it up. There was a peanut butter and jelly clearly slid under the store. <laughs> and I realize the peanut butter and jelly is not the point of the story, but I think I'm fixating on it because I can't deal with the being locked in a closet thing. I accidentally got locked in a closet with some friends when I was like pretty little. Really? Um, yeah, their older brother did it and... I just like me and my other friend just freaked the fuck out, and then we were neighbors, and sh me and my other friend ran screaming home. Wait, when you said accidentally, and the older brother did it, was it really an accident? You're right; it was probably not an accident. And you ran screaming home, literally. <laughs> yeah, that's, I live next door. That's the second story you've told me. You told a story also where you sent another child running screaming out of the house. I thought that really only happened in cartoons. <laughs> Children were dramatic in like, your neighborhood. It was California. It was the OC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Royce went on to add that the reason that babysitting is so often the subject of horror is, first of all, all the adults are gone. Just an adolescent girl is all that stands between children and harm. And probably the writers are sometimes parents and are just actually... Maybe their their kids are being babysat at that very moment, and they're while well, they're writing, and they're thinking over all the possible scenarios that could be going wrong. That's that's very perceptive. I it makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've talked about that before when we think about having kids. Um, you yeah, know. why would you hire a child to watch another child? It makes no sense to me. But it starts to make sense when you think, well, I need to go write today, and, and childcare is expensive. Yeah, I don't have the money to pay someone that much for me to go to a cafe and write, you know, a hundred words that I might delete later. <laughs> it's a fantastic career. <laughs> and I was put on the path to it from these very books. So here we are. Full circle. Yeah. Royce reflected that being babysat as a child was a harrowing experience because he was a child with social anxiety and an overactive imagination. For example, he used to think gopher tunnels were made by a vampire cobra, which... <laughs> Dude, I want to read that story. I, I need more follow-up on this. It's awesome. That definitely sounds like an R, that sounds like R.L. Stein material. And I 100% relate. I did not want to be watched by people who were not my parents. Yeah. I wanted to be alone or with my parents. I was totally fine being watched by people who weren't my parents, but regardless of who was in charge, I still was inventing monsters at every turn. Literally, I made up monsters called the Google Monsters. This is before Google. Um, <laughs> that I thought the lines in that the lawnmower left on the grass was their tracks. <laughs> I knew that I had made them up, and yet I still kind of was afraid of them. So for me, it was a little bit more about not wanting to talk to a stranger, just being like, you're an adult and I don't have a relationship with you and this is weird. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't usually babysat by adults. Or older teenagers. It was the same to me. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to have to talk to you. <laughs> I always wanted to know, like, what's algebra? <laughs> what? Asking the big questions. What's on 90210? I'm not allowed to watch it. <laughs> also, a Halloween story shout out from, as Andy wrote in our notes, Unky Stein. Unky Stein. <laughs> uh, slash hashtag real estate watch. Yeah. So, so he was tweeting this thread that was about someone moving into a jack-o'-lantern. It was a short story for Halloween. Yeah, so there's this quote, And I dropped him into the new pumpkin. How is it? I asked. 
A little cramped, he said, and too modern for my taste, but I'll take it. Just don't tell anyone how you got there, I said. I closed the lid and carried the pumpkin next door. So we responded, topical read the decline of affordable housing. The next day, he gave us a response. Ha, period. Yeah, I still don't know if he was annoyed making fun of us or that's how, you know, he's a boomer and that's how they communicate that they thought you were funny. I think that maybe you're thinking about this way more than he was. He responded, though, that's all I really care. <laughs> Attention. Yeah. From R.L. Stein of yeah. all people. If you had told me when I was eight that I would make R.L. Stein laugh either sarcastically or in earnest, I would have been over the moon. That's true. I would have, too. <laughs> All right, so we asked an important question. These next two uh, sections are mainly about death. We asked an important question, which is how high was the body count in that one fateful day at Horrorland? Who is still alive at the end? Because there's a lot of ambiguity around that. And our friend Zach, who you should check out his MA thesis, actually. He wrote an MA thesis on Goosebumps, which you can access online. It is called R.L. Stein and Contradictory Gender Epistemologies in the Postmodern Children's Serial. I That's fucking awesome. I am so looking forward to reading this over winter break. Zach really did a lot better job at grad school than I did. Yeah, he made better decisions about what to pursue. Yeah, absolutely. You can you can find Zach at, at Zach, which is R-E-A-R-I-C-K-Z-A-C-K. So his answer, I don't think anyone dies. The horror in Horrorland comes from the fact that you are being watched by evil creatures whose primary interest is monetizing you. That is relatable content. Very relatable. You're part of a show you don't know is being filmed, marketed to beings you didn't know existed. This is just the story of Facebook now. Yes. Or as Zach said, that's America. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, you're right. It is the story of Facebook. Like all of us, the Morris family, I didn't know they were the Morrises. Yeah. I, honestly, I just, I forget names immediately after we finish the books. So the Morris family was always already being watched, which is why their experience doesn't end when they escape. Everywhere in America is Horrorland. Stein subverts this in the Horrorland series, which we look forward to getting to, where characters from the original books find their way into the park for a big battle with evil. In that series, Lizzie keeps tabs on her peers like a spy slash guardian angel. The Watcher is now protector, not monstrous commodifier. Um, I think that's mm. very exciting reading. I'm very look. I'm very much looking forward to it. And I just think it's so real for the moment these books came out too, because mm -hmm. you know, as a young kid reading Goosebumps, you're being marketed to at every turn, and your purchase habits are being used sort of to determine what will be in future Goosebumps books, which ones will get sequels, and so on. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you can't just you know read for entertainment without someone capitalizing on it. I think I should post this maybe this week, but we're starting to get into the books where they actually ask you to send in pictures of yourself and then they'll <laughs> monsterify them. So it's like the book is watching you and then it shows you you watching yourself back. <laughs> so on a somewhat related note, we have an update on the controversy of does anyone actually die in Goosebumps? Spongy from Twitter wrote, I actually made a list of hopefully all the deaths in the series, along with another sort of uncommon thing in the series. Most of these are monsters, but there are a few other human deaths. Yeah, and if you go to at Spongy445 to his Twitter, you can find this uh, Google Doc open access. Thank you for sharing your hard work, uh, listing all of these deaths, including a very important one to memorialize, which is the bee from Why I'm Afraid of Bees. <laughs> yeah. God bless the internet. I know. The... Sometimes. <laughs> that bee was the most wronged. I think character in all of the goosebumps so far. Yeah. Well, I think we'd really have to take a take a look back and see if that's the case, but maybe PD from the little dog from the first book. There are a lot of maligned creatures and animals. That is true. In other news, a couple quick notes on exciting goosebumps criticism that's recently come out. So, Stephanie Cole 
who you can find at Ray Gungle at on Instagram and Gangstergish on Twitter. Stephanie did a top 10 Goosebumps covers post for the Nightmare on Film Street blog, so I highly recommend checking out that post and also, of course, the horror podcast Nightmare on Film Street, which is really fun. Yeah, we are huge fans. The Watchers podcast also did a top 10 Goosebumps podcast, and you can find it on their Patreon. Yeah. So that's the big news this week. Um, yeah, the world of Goosebumps news is hopping. Yeah, I mean, we haven't even talked about the fact that somebody put up on IMDb a list of what the first episodes are meant to be on the forthcoming Goosebumps TV series. <gasps> Chicken Chicken is on there. <laughs> but but we don't yet know if it's actually real or if someone just put it up. So a lot of buzz, though. That's the other thing about the internet, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you want to get in touch and have your words read back to you on one of our minisodes, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at SayPodAndDie. You can also email us at SayPodAndDie at gmail.com. And please, if you got a moment, hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and a five-star rating. It helps us continue to grow the Goosepunks community. That's right. Thanks for listening. Listeners beware. Send us more scares. Ooh. Ooh. Good boo. Good boo.